Like, I always have a soft spot for the West Coast Express, Bertuzzi, Naslin, Morrison. Uh, I've always loved a guy like Alex Burroughs. You know, I just, I just love the story. Oh. This guy was... <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. These are the tales of hockey past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending team seasons, on and off ice moments, memories of personal fandom catastrophe and elation, and yes, alcohol. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the Puck Stories. Hi, my name is Nick Bondi, and I'm going to tell you the story of the 2010-2011 Vancouver Canucks. So, the state of the franchise... Uh, heading into the 2010-2011 season was the Canucks were, they were a good team. They had just lost in the second round for two straight years, two straight years to the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, the first time in 09, the Hawks were kind of like an up-and-coming team. It was kind of like a toss-up series, and they ended up losing in six games. In In 2010, I think the Hawks were probably maybe the slight favorites and they ended up going on to win the cup. So it was two straight years of losing the same team in the second round. And the expectation was like, I think everyone for the most part knew the Canucks were going to be a good regular season team. They're probably going to win the uh, old Northwest division. They're probably going to finish as a top three team in the uh, Western conference for a third straight year. It was just about what they could do in the, uh, in the Stanley cup playoffs. And that was, Really, the expectation from the uh, from the start for the season was to go on the run in the Stanley Cup playoffs and you know finally get past the uh, past the second round. And uh, they got off to kind of a slow start. They uh, they started off two, three, and one. And uh, the big turning point probably in, in the regular season was uh, as a seven-one loss to the Chicago Blackhawks in uh, in November. I was actually at that game. They got absolutely pumped. It was it was not a good showing, and they, they really turned it around. They went eighteen four and three after that. They uh, they had a really dominant season. They had a top ranked power play. Their uh, penalty kill was really good. They had a uh, leading scorer in the league in uh, in Daniel Sedin. They had the uh, the Selkie winner in Brian Kessler. They had a, a solid blue line. They wouldn't I wouldn't say the Canucks had like a number one stud defenseman, but they had like four or five really good defensemen. Like, they had a really deep, deep defense score. Uh, they had a they had a good goalie tandem in uh, Roberto Longo and Corey Schneider. And they had a, they had a really dominant team. They won, the, they won the President's Trophy franchise record, 117 points. At that point, it was easily the uh, the best regular season in, uh, in Vancouver Canucks history. And in their 40th year as well, the Canucks were celebrating their 40th year of, uh, of existence in that in that 2010-2011 season. When you were there uh, watching the 7-1 to defeat, uh, what were you thinking? I was thinking, like, man, they can't get over the Blackhawks. Like, that was, I, was, I was thinking I was, like, 16, 17 at the time. I was watching with my dad, and, yeah, I was just like, oh, man, they can't beat these guys. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it, it's, it's something mental at that point. Like, that's what I was thinking when they lose 7-1 at home to Chicago. Like, and to be fair, I'm sure a lot of teams had that uh, that same hurdle to to get past. I know the Blues had had that for a while. Had to get past the Blackhawks. <laughs> yeah, like it was. They were they were a good team, and uh, it's unfortunate they had to face them in the first round as well, which made that first round matchup really all the more intriguing, right? Like you think, you think you win the Presidents Trophy, you finish first in the conference, you get a favorable matchup, but no, they uh, they had to face Chicago. And if if I'm remembering correctly, like Chicago only got a playoff spot on the last day of the regular season, right? It was something like they had to win and Dallas lost or mm-hmm. Dallas, you know, or like they lost and Dallas somehow lost at the same time. Like it was very much up in the air. If, uh, who were they going to face in the first round? And they probably would have, they probably would have pumped the, the Dallas stars in like four or five games. Probably would have been a very close series, but because they, they faced Chicago and uh, it went the distance. Tell us a little bit about uh, some of the highlights for you during, during the regular season. Uh, during the regular season, it was, I think one of them is, uh, Daniel Sedin getting, uh, the Art Ross trophy, like to have back to back Art Ross trophy winners and to have them as twins. So like Henrik Sedin won in 2010, he won the hard trophy. 
Uh, Daniel Sedin won the Art Ross. He didn't win the Hart Trophy. He was nominated for it. But to have back-to-back Art Ross Trophy winners on the in back-to-back years was uh, was pretty cool. That's always something that uh, that sticks out to me. Uh, there was there was one game against Nashville where uh, where Bill Sweat scored like the game winner, and it was it was a cool story because he's just like a random call up. They called up for a game, and uh, Henrik Daniel Sedin set him up for. Uh, or, no, sorry, it was Lee Sweat. It was his brother, Lee Sweat. Lee Sweat scores the uh, the the win, the game winner. It was like a super tight one nothing two one game, something like that. And Lee Sweat, he was like a guy that called up for a game, and he scores the game winner <laughs> off uh, off Henrik and Daniel. That was that. That's one moment I definitely remember. And uh, another one for all the wrong reasons. I was at the game where Manuel Hoja takes a puck in the eye, and um, he's out until game two of the Stanley Cup Finals. That was a. That's probably a memory for all the wrong reasons. But those are two games I like. I definitely have a memory of from the regular season. Yeah. Was that uh? Was that Sweat's first uh career goal too? Yeah, it was like his first career goal and the that's game awesome. winner. Yeah, that's it was awesome. a good memory. It was like his one shot. That was like his one shot. In the league. <laughs> yeah. I just remember at the trade deadline, they uh they really like the trade deadline. They made a bunch of great moves. Like they got. Chris Higgins out of out of Florida, I believe, at the time. Max Lapierre, like guys who end up being like pretty yeah. decent contrib. Yeah, Max Lapierre had an eventful Stanley Cup final, and Higgins had, ended up having like you know a pretty good run in Vancouver. Like he was, they traded for him at the deadline. I ended up staying like four or five years after, so it ended up being a uh, a pretty good uh, trade deadline transaction, right? Like anytime you get a guy who stays around for four or five years, it's uh, ended up. That, those are two like trade deadline when it's very clear like they're loaded up for a long playoff run. Like I definitely remember that. Do you remember the feeling of like, all right, they're they're going for it? Yeah, like if, I I think very much so because like at the time, like around the trade deadline, I think they already had like close to 100 points or just above that. They were very clearly going to win the division. There was a good chance mm-hmm. they're going to they're going to win the the Presence Trophy. Like I remember thinking at the time, like. Man, if they'll make a run right now, like when are they ever going to do it? Mm-hmm. So they're the the most goals uh, scored and the fewest goals against uh, since since '78. So you're thinking heading into the playoffs, we are rolling on all cylinders, just nothing can go wrong. And then you you have the obviously the Chicago matchup, and are you thinking just oh shit? It's yeah, like up. yeah, it's like the, these guys again for like a third straight year can't catch a fucking <laughs> break, especially in the first round. Like that was, that was the thing. Like the face of the defending Stanley Cup champions team, we lost it two straight years in the first round after you have a super good regular season. Like that's a, that's a brutal break. Like, there's there's no way around <laughs> it. But like those first those first two games, especially in uh, in Vancouver, it was uh, it looked like the Canucks were a very like they they weren't gonna have any problem this year handling Chicago, and then obviously the uh, the game in Chicago, game three was a lot closer. But they, you're up three nothing. It's like okay, like you're you definitely don't think when you're up three nothing that this series is gonna go to game seven overtime. That's just <laughs> like the furthest thing from your mind, right? Yeah. Was the uh, yeah. was the seven to two in game four like a little bit of a reminder of that that yeah. earlier, earlier game of the season? Yeah, yeah, like it was just like okay, these guys like aren't going to go down without a fight. And I remember thinking before game five, uh, they lost five nothing. Uh, like, oh man, if they lose this game, then it's going seven for sure. And it's going back to Chicago. Like they're definitely going to win that game six, and then we're going to have to face game seven. And that game ended up being pretty close like they ended up losing 4-3 in overtime that was a game Longo had cramps if you remember that Longo mm. cramped up in the middle of the game on I think a penalty shootout or a penalty shot he cramped yeah. up and uh, they had to bring in Corey Schneider which is like some oh no sorry sorry I got that wrong Corey Schneider the big thing the big story was Corey Schneider started game 6 Corey Schneider started game 6 right you guys remember that yeah he started yeah. game 6 that, that really, and then that he cramped up he cramped up right. and Roberto Luongo like a straight heel like a straight heel turn out of you know wrestling came out of the tunnel <laughs> to, 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 you know, try and get him the, the W in game 6 his first season in Vancouver in the playoffs he also had that infamous game where uh, Danny Sabrin had to start game 5 of overtime because he had diarrhea 
had a little bit of the runs, <laughs> right. and uh, just a little little case of the runs, and he had to, he couldn't make it out of time. That's right. Oh man, he's a he's a character. Absolutely, one of the few hockey players that shows personality, especially online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his Twitter is is top notch. Uh, I remember it was uh, if you, it's April twenty sixth. It says here. Uh, I think that was a Tuesday or what have you. But I remember I was going to the uh, I was in high school at the time, and I was going to the aquarium uh, for a for a field trip the day of. That's what I was doing the day uh, before Game Seven, and uh, I just remember like you could cut the tension in the city with a knife. Like that's how people anxious people were for that game. And that would be multiple. We'll talk about game seven against Boston later, but multiply that by 10. That's what it was like. Uh, game seven. I think even Kevin Bieksa, he was, uh, he was talking about, uh, get, he was doing, uh, he's on hockey night in Canada. Now he's doing, uh, you know, his commentary for game seven against Toronto, Mon- Montreal. And he said, uh, the, the two games he wishes he could just kind of snap his fingers and just get over with where that game seven against Chicago and that game seven against Boston. Cause it's just the, you know, the anticipation and the, I guess the pressure and just the nerves before that game were, uh, were off the chain. And like, I think people, people forget a lot of things about that game. They also remember the, uh, the Burroughs goal in overtime. Capoli gave a puck away. Burroughs shoot scores. Uh, great Jim Houston call. Um, but I remember Burroughs scored in that game. Burroughs had a really eventful game in that game seven. He, uh, he scored the goal in regulation to make it one nothing. He missed the penalty shot in regulation that could have made it 2 nothing and effectively sealed the game. And it was a one nothing game, a really tense one nothing game uh, all throughout uh, regulation until Jonathan Taves scores with like 40 seconds left and it's going to overtime. And it's... I, I just remember thinking at the time, like, what the fuck else do we have to do to beat these guys? Like, we we have we Fucking had them. we had them, yeah, we had them, we had them. And Jonathan Taves just kind of like it was like if I didn't despise the Blackhawks as much as I did at the time, I would be I would be impressed by just him, you know, pulling the boot, boot, uh, bootstraps up and willing his team to uh, to to tie the game. Like it was that impressive i didn't allow myself to think that at the time like fuck this guy like you just you just he <laughs> just, just, just tied the game up late and uh yeah it went one one in overtime and burroughs i think people forget because yeah he, uh, he scored the game winner Bur- burroughs took a penalty in overtime he took a penalty in overtime blackhawks had a power play and roberto longo made this great cross crease save on patrick sharp in overtime he was you know saved the series pretty much and a couple of minutes later uh Burroughs kind of uh, exercises the demons of the Vancouver Canucks and uh, beats the Chicago Blackhawks, but it was a uh, it was a nervy game. It was a uh, it was a very tense game, a two one and two one overtime game. Very 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 tense. What on earth did Burroughs do to draw a penalty in a game seven <laughs> overtime? I think I think it was a high sticking call. Okay, one of those you can't you can't really get a you can't really get around that. Yeah, it didn't obviously have the uh, the puck over glass rule at the time, but it was like a high stick or a slash or or something like that. But yeah, you would think like game seven overtime, like it's uh, it's anything goes. Like you could just call whatever or let Mm. anything go. uh, Pardon me, but uh, yeah, no, he he took a penalty. He had a eventful game. He scored he scored the one goal in regulation for the Canucks. He missed the penalty shot. He took a penalty and then ends up scoring the uh, the series winner in uh, in overtime in Game Seven. It was quite quite the day for Alex Burrows. <laughs> the ups and downs like you read about. Two days later, they had to uh, they had to face Nashville and uh, like there was no layoff like you see right here like twenty six and then twenty eight like they had like one day off between uh, Chicago okay. and Nashville like right away they had to play that that series against Nashville. Yeah, not much time to uh, to celebrate with the boys about exercising the demons of uh, of the Blackhawks. No, and uh, I I think that I think um, is under like Vancouver beat Nashville like fairly. It was a six game series, but they ended up taking care of business against the uh, against the Predators. But I think that like the travel really like impacted them and really had their had its toll. Later on in the season, uh, the, the GM of the team, Mike Gillis, uh, was recently on a podcast uh, here in Vancouver, and he was just talking about like the travel in that Nashville series because 
uh, Vancouver and Nashville, like that's a long flight. Like Nashville is the furthest Western conference team that Vancouver could have played. Right. Like that's a, that's a five hour flight there. And then a five hour flight back where you are traveling essentially like across the continent. I think about where Vancouver is. It's like Pacific Northwest, kind of like the corner right there. And you got to fly all the way down to like, yeah, all the way down to uh, Tennessee. Right. Which is almost like almost Southeast. And you got to do that mm-hmm. like a bunch of times over a series. Like it takes a, it, it, it wears and tears on the body that much travel. So like they took care of business in that Nashville series. They won six games. Ryan Kessler was a beast, especially in game three and four in Nashville. Like he was, uh, I, I can't remember the stats uh, off the top of my head in that Nashville series, but I, he was over mm-hmm. a point per game for sure. Like it was easy over a point per game in that six game series. Like he was the MVP of that series. Uh, it was probably the con Smythe favorite after that series, just because of that performance alone. But uh, I, I remember in uh, he, he ended up scoring the game three winner in overtime on, on the power play three two. Uh, he, he 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 went and he scored a really nice goal like between the legs of uh, of pardon me of, of Shea Weber, right through Pekka Rene on the rush. I think it was game three or four. Like he went really hard in that series and he was the MVP of that series and they took care of business. But the travel, I think the travel really impacted them and and throughout the playoffs, like you look at all these series, like Chicago's not. Pretty long flight from Vancouver, right? Like three and a half, four hours. San Jose is is like they they finally played a team in their own time zone, not until the Western Conference final, right? In San Jose, and and even then, like flying out of San yeah, Jose, it's, it's like further like south. <laughs> it's it's pretty. It's still like a, a two hour flight from Vancouver, right? So right. they took they took care of business in Nashville, but the travel I think really impacted them. And you'd feel that later on the Boston series with with all the injuries. Is anything close to Vancouver? Seattle, um, the Kraken, yeah, Seattle, but not in the <laughs> NHL right now, right? Like that's kind of that's and that's one of the things that uh, Mike Gillis talked about uh, on his uh, on his interview here. He did a local podcast called On Air. But like one of the disadvantages Vancouver has in the NHL is they have an insane travel schedule, right? Like it's not like a, a team like the, the any of those kind of like East Coast New York. Uh, U.S. teams, right? Like the the Rangers or the Devils or uh, even like those the Flyers. It's just those East Coast U.S. teams, right? Where they don't have that the the travel isn't that heavy, or like you can easily travel between like Madison Square Garden and uh, and Nassau Coliseum, wherever the wherever the Islanders play, right? You can easily travel from yeah. MSV to you know, like wherever the Devils play. A half hour right? away. It's called yeah. It's like a half hour away, right? It's, that that doesn't exist in Bank in Vancouver, right? Like, you've got to fly everywhere. Like even like Calgary is like one and a half two hour flight, so like the travel for the for the Canucks is it's always been a disadvantage because they have to fly everywhere, leaving at certain times, maybe sometimes staying overnight, and obviously like every every team has a charter plane, so it's not like anything like that. But right. there's only so much you can do, right? Like, right. like all that constant like air time like really takes a toll on the body, especially on a high level professional athlete. Do do players ever talk about that or admit that? I mean, I'm sure they're just like you know, gotta get pups in deep and you know just play together and stuff like that. But do, do, are they ever candid about how difficult uh, that the travel is? Next players are definitely yeah, because hey, it, it is like a, a very legitimate concern in Vancouver is just the travel, right? Like you have to you have to fly everywhere. It's just it's just it's just part part of playing in Vancouver. Yeah, so uh, they they won the that series in Nashville in six. They won that game two one in uh, in Nashville, and uh, then they faced the uh, San Jose Sharks in the Western Conference Final. It was pretty funny because I remember at the time like the the Canucks don't ever make the conference final and lose. Like every they're actually perfect in the Western Conference Finals, and actually like every time they've been in the Western Conference Finals, they move on to the Stanley Cup Finals. So I'm just like, okay, well, there's a pretty good chance here they can they can make the, the Stanley cup final oddly enough. Like I know San Jose is a good team, but it's like they, the Canucks don't ever make the Stanley cup finals and lose. Like they don't ever make this, the Western conference finals in general. When they do, does, they does Vegas teams. know that? Does Vegas? They do now. They do now. They do now because of this podcast, I just spilled the beans. But, yeah. I remember that, uh, that Western conference finals against uh, San Jose, like, San Jose's got a good team, but uh, they're, they're known for, especially at the time, kind of choky. That was kind of their, uh, I think a couple of years earlier, they had actually won the Preds' trophy and lost in the first round. 
I think that was a couple years earlier, right? Like oh nine, oh eight, or something like that. They uh, they won the Sounds right. They lost. Yeah, they lost in the first round. So I was honestly like fairly confident in the Canucks once they got to the Western Conference Final. Oddly enough, but uh, first game was close. Uh, second game was a blowout, seven three. Just kind of steamrolled them. They lost that uh, that game three, uh, but uh, game four was a uh, was a game where they had um they had like a two minute five on three, or they scored like two five on three goals and like a, a power play goal. Like that, there was game four where the the power play just took over, and like they Sammy Salo scored two five on three goals in that game. We got two five on three goals in the uh, in the same game. That's where I remember almost. Second most from the series. The first is obviously Kevin Bieksa's uh, overtime winner off the stanchion, where uh, where no one knew where the puck was, and it pops <laughs> up right to it. Yeah, the broadcast at the time, like everyone was confused. Like even even the the broadcast, if you watch the broadcast or the highlight, even they kind of lose track of the puck because what happens is Alex Edler on the uh, on the right point, he flips it. He kind of flips it up, trying to dump it in. And it goes off the stanchion and bounces right to Kevin Bieksa. Kevin Bieksa shoots it in, and everyone loses track except him. And he just gets it on net. Anthony Niemi has no idea what's going on. It goes goes right through him. And uh, yeah, no, I, I had no idea at the time too. It wasn't until um, the CB uh, the broadcast showed uh, a uh, sorry one second. It it wasn't until um, the broadcast showed a, a replay of of like behind like from the opposite end of the ice where you can clearly see Alex Edler trying to dump the puck in. It goes off the stanchion right to Kevin Bieksa. Never, never, you know, didn't go up, up in, up in the, uh, up in the netting or anything like that. Still in play. And, uh, and Kevin Bieksa just smart play by him. Just fires the puck on net. And uh, yeah, the Canucks were off the Stanley cup final. It was, uh, it was a great time. The old replay celebration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it, it's still probably one of the most unique goals you can ever score in going to the uh, in the Stanley Cup final, right? Because it was just like no one knew where the puck was. No one in the <laughs> no one on the broadcast, like the the broadcast was confused again. Like even even the cameraman lost track of the puck. No one knew where the puck was on the ice except Kevin Bieksa, and that was a great game too. That game game five because I think what gets lost in the Kevin Bieksa stanchion goal is. They were uh, they were down late two one, two one late. And Ryan Kessler, that was the game he got injured and uh, had to play. Uh, I think Tory had a torn hip labrum. That was uh, that ended up being his, his uh, injury, pretty serious injury. But he ended up coming back and scoring uh, the tying goal two two late, like thirty seconds left to even send that game to overtime. Then it goes to goes to double overtime. I remember Roberto Longo making a great save on uh, on Kyle Wellwood in uh, overtime, former Vancouver Canuck from the year previous, uh, Cal Wellwood to, uh, to make, to keep it at two, two, but no, that was a great game. And, uh, what, what a unique way to, to get your team into the Stanley cup final, the stanchion goal. Nick, Nick said it perfectly. It's yeah. It's just, no one has any fucking idea. <laughs> yeah. And it's it like, perfect. Like you have an idea. Perfect. Well, bounce around the Kevin BX's stick too. That's yeah. It looks like it was like BS. Yeah, yeah, and probably Lu- Luongo because he was he was behind Bieksa and just <laughs> saw saw it all and it was, yeah, it was it was Mike, say, say Kevin Bieksa again. I, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Bieksa. Bieksa. Yeah, there you go. There it is. Now say Kevin Bieksa. Kevin BX, I can't. <laughs> Tongue twister. Tongue twister. It's like, yeah. it's like cool whip. Get, get, cool yeah. whip. There you go. <laughs> Got it. But yeah, no. Um, they uh, they win that in five games, and uh, at, that Boston Tampa series going on at the same time, and that was that went to seven. I remember watching game six and seven. I think uh, I don't remember if uh, if Boston won game six, but I definitely remember watching game seven. Bruins won one nothing. Nate Horton, Nate Horton, sorry, who we'll uh, get to later. I'm sure when we talk about the uh, Stanley Cup final, but uh, yeah, suspiciously no penalties called in that uh, in that game seven between Boston and Tampa. I remember that just suspiciously because I was going to just no suspiciously no no penalties call, even though uh, 
Boston was the best five on five team uh, that year. Probably had nothing to do with the fact that uh, Gregory Campbell's dad, Colin Campbell, was uh, head of officiating uh, in the NHL at the time. Probably had nothing to do with it. Nothing. Nothing. Probably not nothing to do with it. No. <laughs> no. Just a coincidence. So go going into uh going into the Stanley Cup final, what were what were your thoughts? Um I, I, it was exciting. Like this is I was born in April of ninety four. So obviously I was uh, I was two months old when the when the Canucks made the Stanley Cup final against the New York Rangers. So like technically I, I, I was alive for then, but I wasn't really don't I don't remember anything from it. Just uh just watching clips online. So this is the first time really in my lifetime that the Canucks were in the Stanley Cup final. I was really excited. Like this was this was, you know, a chance for for the city, for the franchise to win uh its first ever Stanley Cup. Like in Vancouver we have uh we have a park named after Lord Stanley of Preston. And the city has never the guy who named this who's named the Stanley Cup is after and the city's never won a, a Stanley Cup, the Vancouver Millionaires what won it but that was back when it was called the dominion challenge cup it wasn't called the stanley cup back then it was a what totally a flex. different they, they were the millionaires <laughs> the, name, the vancouver millionaires yeah it's those uh we, the, you guys they were you probably guys, getting you guys paid have... about 20k a year <laughs> yeah a second job well, in the got... off season well that's, you got that's you got... a million canadian <laughs> yeah a million canadian, so maybe like 600 american yeah but, so, uh, so nothing yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, Six hundred thousand Louis. Uh, well, you, you got you, you guys didn't have it in your in your little write up, but they had those. That's why they wore those uh, maroon V millionaire jerseys. It was a tribute mm. to that team. But like, oh. like it was exciting. Like it was it was exciting. The Cucks are in the Stanley Cup final, and it was uh, the chance for um, for the city for the franchise to win its first ever Stanley Cup. And uh, I remember we we talked about this uh, a bit earlier, but. Uh, there has not been, in my opinion, may, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe I'm a bit biased here because nope. I'm a Canucks fan, but there's a, there has not been a Stanley Cup final since 2011, the 2011 between Vancouver and Boston that has had the same vitriol between you know fans, the players, the fan bases. It was it was a very intense series that I don't think has been matched since. Like, the level of hatred in that series was, was off the chain, really, and... Uh, I, again, I don't think it has been matched since. Again, I think it, I think it had something to do. Looking back ten years later, I think it has something to do with the fact that, like, the Canucks obviously had never won a Stanley Cup, and the Bruins at the time hadn't won a Stanley Cup since Bobby Orr was on the team, right? So they had like Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito. Right? It's been a hot. It was been a hot minute since they won a Stanley Cup too. So like, it was a, it was a very very intense series, right off the bat. And I remember that first game, Rafi. Uh, Rafi Torres, I believe, scored the uh, the game winner, one nothing. It was a super tight game late. Could have gone either way, but uh, Canucks got the better of it. And uh, obviously that game, game one, had the infamous Burroughs biting uh, Patrice Bergeron's finger. I've always said that, yeah. hey, if if someone if someone sticks a finger in my mouth without without my consent, I'm probably chomping down too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, you, you, why you put it? Why you putting your finger in another man's mouth? Like you got to expect some something bad to happen there. Like, we, don't that was probably, yeah. we don't kink shame here. Yeah, like, <laughs> it, 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 you're, you're, bad things are gonna happen when you when you put a finger in another man's mouth without his consent. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I'll defend Burroughs on that one. But that was you know that was a, obviously an intense thing and um, intense talking point in game two. Game two was uh was a was an overtime win. Alex Burrows scoring the uh, the overtime winner, uh, eight seconds in. If you watch the uh, if you watch the uh, the CBC uh, replay uh, the replay of that game, like they have this giant flash. They're they're really high on advertising that the the finals were being broadcast in HD. So like as soon as the puck drops in game two, they have to shot they uh they flash this giant like this game is broadcasted in HD. Sign and then like Burrow scores like right after, like eight seconds. <laughs> the giant like HD sign is, is on the is on the screen, which is uh, pretty funny in in retrospect. But uh, yeah, like that was uh, you, you go back and watch that play. Like Tim Thomas is a uh, is way 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 out of his net. Burrow's just smartly just skates around him, puts the puck in an empty net. And I'll tell you what I was thinking 
after you know the, the Canucks are up two nothing in the Stanley Cup final, like we're we're gonna win the Stanley Cup. Like that, that's what I'm thinking. Like you're up two nothing in the Stanley Cup final. That's usually a good recipe for for hoisting it at the end, right? So uh, those first two games are are good memories for me. Just uh, I, I try to I try and forget what happened afterwards sometimes, but uh, you know what? Those first two memories were were pretty good. Especially they always game, say game though three. the uh, the most dangerous lead in hockey is two zero. Exactly. I should I should have I should know. I should know. What do you remember from uh, from game three? I'm sure that you tried to like men in black pen that like out of your memory. <laughs> but... uh, okay, so the, the the first thing I remember is is the Aaron Aaron Rome on Nathan Horton hit, and that was uh, that was a big hit and look. That was probably still an unprecedented suspension in, in the Stanley Cup final, in my opinion. Like, was it... It was not a head hit. He didn't hit me contact with his head. Was it late? Yeah, it was maybe like a like a, millise- like a second late, half a second late. Not dangerously... Not dangerously late by any means. It was just a good clean... It was a, you know, shoulder-on-shoulder hit. And Nathan Horton, you know, he got his bell rung. He was caught admiring his pass, and he, uh... And he, uh... And he paid the price for it. And, you know, should he have been suspended for it? Again, yeah, uh, it, it was a bit of a late hit. But four games in a Stanley Cup final, like, that's probably, what's that? What's that probably the equivalent of? Because the NHL, that's what they do, right? Like, they have a they have an equivalency model for suspensions. Like, one, one playoff game. It's double. One, one, one playoff game is, you know, two regular season games. And a Stanley Cup final game is, like, four regular season games or, or something like that. I think Brian Burke... Explains it in his book, but they didn't use an equivalency model. So if you use that four games in a Stanley Cup final, four game suspension in a Stanley Cup final is what a 16 game suspension in the regular season. Was that hit where they have a 16 game regular season suspension? And Mark Shifley gets four <laughs> games most recently for a full ice charge across the ice where all he's trying to do, he's not even trying to play the puck. He's just trying to blow the guy up because he's frustrated that he's about to lose the game. If that's a four-game suspension, Aaron Rome hit is a four-game suspension. I know it's you know ten years later, but I'm still upset about that Nathan Horn, Aaron Rome suspension. Like that still that still really bugs me. And I I think you know the Boston Bruins in, in hindsight like really used that to their advantage. That was a rallying cry, and it was a it, people. It was a tie game after that first period. It was a tie game, and the Boston Bruins just come out guns a blazing. And you know, win that game eight one. And uh, I, I had on my podcast Victor Reskovich from that team, and he remembers you know going into uh, uh, TD Garden for Game Three, and it was he remembers it being a really hostile environment. Like the fans were all over him; they, they did not like him. And that intensity, like I mentioned earlier, that intensity has been, in my opinion, hasn't been in the Stanley Cup Finals since. Like it was a really, really intense final. Going back to the the Rome Horton hit. Do you, I don't know, I have this kind of theory um, in sports that when there's an injury on the play and it's like borderline dirty or a suspension or something like that, that they try and use some equivalency there as well. Um, you know, That probably like, had something to do with it. He probably, you know, the fact he got injured probably, you know, got him a more stricter suspension. But you know what also, also got him a more strict suspension? The fact that, Colin Campbell's son, Gregory Campbell, played for the Boston Bruins. <laughs> Wait, again, you think I had nothing to do with it? You don't think I had anything to do with it? You don't think his? You don't think his? You don't think Colin Campbell wants to see his son lift the Stanley Cup? Doesn't matter what I think; it's what you think. That's what I think. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still uh, Colin Campbell. Uh, I, I still, I still can't believe he was in charge of all that stuff. While his son was in the Stanley Cup final. Anyways, okay, so it's so a game four. They they uh, they end up losing four nothing as well. They lose both games in Boston, pretty decisively, right? Like at, at this point, it's pretty well established. There's a clear home ice advantage in this series uh, for either team. The Canucks win game five, one nothing. Max Lapierre goal. Uh, Kind of, I believe in the third period, kind of sealed it for them. It was a another shutout for Roberto Longo in the finals, and I was downtown for that game. I was downtown for game five, six, and seven of this series, and uh, I almost died from getting too many high fives after uh, 
after game five. Like that's it, the it, most, it was that's the most Canadian thing of all time. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, it was a real celebratory mood because uh hey look they're up three two in the files. You just gotta go five hundred the rest of the way and uh you got you got the Stanley Cup. Uh I remember before uh I remember before game six, my buddy's like Oh, I, I kind of hope that they lose game six in Boston so they can win it on home ice and in game seven. And I just remember thinking, man, just win the cup. I don't care if it's in Boston or not. Just win the goddamn thing. Like, I don't care if it's in Boston. And yeah, as they blue, lost as up. A, as a Blues fan, I can say it's awesome winning in Boston. Just, to, just the same. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been and nice. As, and as a Blackhawks fan, it's also nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it's awesome. Wish I could experience it one day. But they end up losing. Yeah, they end up losing that game six pretty, uh, pretty decisively in Boston. It was another decisive loss in uh, in Boston, five uh, two. And I think I remember much was like discussed about like could Roberto Luongo handle the pressure of. Uh, of uh, playing in, in Boston again. It turns out uh, he couldn't because uh, the Bruins got out to a pretty early lead in that game. And uh, yeah, that was, that was all she wrote for, uh, for game six. And then it's, uh, then it's game seven in the, in Vancouver after game four. Uh, I was kind of hoping like, let's get a win in game five and see what happens in game six. Cause I, like I said, like it was very clear, like home ice advantage was going to rule. Mm-hmm. in that series it seemed like one of those series where the home team kind of holds serve and uh you go from there so after game four i remember thinking like if we can win game five like i like our chances in this series because we'll at least have one more home game that's that's at least what i was thinking and after game five like i said like we're up three two we just got to go 500 the rest of the way even if we lose game six in boston let's win game six in boston for all. but even if we don't we got a good chance at home in game seven here in Vancouver, like I was somewhat, I was, you know, I wouldn't say I was super, super confident in after game four. I knew that I could see a path. There was definitely a path to win the cup after game five. I was like, okay, we got a really good shot here. Like it's, we're one win away. Like you just got to win one of these games and we're done here. Was that the general feeling amongst you know, fans in Vancouver that like after game yeah. four, it wasn't like panic mode. We lost our lead, that kind of thing. Well, I think, you know, you're, you're kind of panicking because of the way you lose in Boston, right? Like you lose eight, one and then four, nothing. You lose it in 10 of uh, 12 goals, sorry, in two games. Like that's cause for concern, but you still have pretend it's the best two out of three at this point with two of the games at home. Like you have it, you have it set up there for you. And after game five, like I said, you just need one more win, just one more win. And it's hockey, right? Like, the bounces could go your way in one of these games and you could have, you could get it done. All right. It's judgment day. Game seven. Yeah. Game seven. Um, look, I, I mentioned earlier, like the, the, the tension before the game seven against the, the Chicago Blackhawks in, in, in the city of Vancouver was, was palpable. You could cut it with the night times that by 10 for game seven, uh, at home uh, against the Boston Bruins, and like it, the it's hard. Like ten years later, even then, it's hard to describe. Like just the nervous energy and and the tension that w- that was in the city for for that game seven. Not only on the game, but the on the game day on the fifteenth, uh, but the day before as well. And look, we're uh, I'm 27 years old. A Canadian team has not won the uh, the Stanley Cup in uh in 28 years since uh since montreal won it back in 93 and i and i honestly think like one of the reasons why is because of the pressure like there is just a unique pressure for a canadian team when you get that close to a stanley cup that just doesn't exist for these american teams like it's just it's just not the same level of pressure like you go look at all the teams that made the stanley cup finals from canada since montreal 93 and they've all kind of cracked under the pressure at the last hurdle like um i i was listening to a podcast recently with uh with thomas Drance at the athletic and uh he was talking about how uh, the uh in in hindsight one of the things the bruins did well was they didn't treat it like a normal day like they didn't have like a normal morning skate or anything like that they had like a brief media availability and they kind of did their thing but 
Vancouver's approach was like, let's treat it like any other game. You know, let's have our morning skate. Let's do all that stuff. But it's game seven of the Stanley Cup finals in Canada. Like it's not a, a normal game. It doesn't have the normal amount of pressure. Like again, the, the, the pressure, the nervous energy inside the arena in the city can cut it with a knife. And I think, you know, again, one of the reasons I think a Canadian team hasn't won a Stanley Cup in 28 odd years is there is a unique pressure for these Canadian teams when they get to that last hurdle that just doesn't exist for these American teams, right? It's just, it's hard to describe, but it's just, it's just a, a totally different kind of pressure that doesn't exist south of the border, in my opinion. And I just, I just remember the, the nervous energy and the anticipation and the tension before game seven is one of the things that always stands out. I remember going down, uh, Heading downtown to watch Game Seven because they had uh, they had giant uh, giant watch parties for all the Stanley Cup Finals and uh, I remember that at my high school there was a, there was a big chemistry exam the next day so a lot of my buddies couldn't make it they had to watch the game and sort of study for this chemistry exam and uh, I knew from a very early age that uh, that I wasn't going to go in any STEM field so I didn't take chemistry and uh, I didn't take chemistry in high school but um, uh, one of my buddies, I was friend. One of my buddies who actually did take chemistry didn't really give a shit, so he went down with me. And uh, I was saying to him, like, we are going to be downtown for the biggest party this city's ever seen, or there's going to be some trouble. Like, there's there's no there's no kind of black and white. There's it's it's that that's what's going to happen. Because if you remember, you know, a year and a half before at the Olympics of Vancouver, Canada wins wins gold on home ice. Sidney Crosby the golden goal, and it was a giant party. And like we, were, the we remember. It, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but you know what? Like if imagine like all the scenes from after Canada wins that gold on home ice and you times it by like five, 10, I don't even know. Like that would have been like the party downtown Vancouver if the Canucks ever won. If the Canucks won the Stanley cup that night, it would have been off the chain. It would have been a lot of fun, but you know, if, if they didn't win, like there was, there was going to be some trouble. And apparently everyone knew that even 17 year old me, except the, uh, the Vancouver police department. Apparently they're the only ones in the city who didn't realize that there's going to be some trouble if the Canucks lost. And what kind of trouble did you uh, find yourself in? <laughs> um, I didn't, I didn't participate in the Stanley cup final riots. Thank you very much. But I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a few things. I remember uh, a few things pretty clearly from, from the, uh, from the riots. Um, First of all, just being absolutely dejected after the loss and like a lot of people. But I remember, you know, one guy, it's like these two guys are walking past each other. This guy kind of shoulder checks the other guy and they just start fighting in the middle of the street. Like just fucking going the blows in the middle of the street. Uh, one guy was dancing on top of a porta potty that set up, obviously, sorry, they had set up obviously uh, porta potties. Right around there, one guy's dancing on top of one, and this guy like does like a full, like the Mark Shifley full full ice charge, shoulder checks the porta potty. This guy just falls <laughs> off the porta potty, and I remember uh, I remember just kind of hanging around, and some guy throws a a, a chair through a Blends Coffee, which is like a local coffee chain. I remember thinking like, oh shit, like things are starting to hit the fan here. This is uh, things are getting pretty serious, and just like you would have to just randomly run. You just have to randomly run because some would say like, "Oh, tear gas," and you obviously wouldn't want to get trampled to death, so you would just you would just run. And in hindsight, um, probably stayed down there a, a bit too long. But uh, my buddy who I, who uh, I just mentioned uh, skipped his chemistry exam studying to watch Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final. He was uh, he was about to go in a couple of weeks to uh, Canadian Armed Forces uh, basic training. So uh, at the time, he's like, hey, you know what? This is pretty good training for me. This is real life training. I got to stand, be here. And a uh, uh, 17-year-old me at the time, like, I don't want to be the wimp who uh, who leaves his man in the middle of battle. I got I to gotta stick around here. But um, that's why I, stick the, I stuck around for probably a bit too long. Managed to take the one of the uh, the last, uh, last guy trains, kind of like the light rail subway we have here in Vancouver, uh, outside of the... Uh, outside of the uh, downtown core got home um of course my parents are worried sick they're watching the coverage on tv they're like where the hell were you why didn't you call i was like okay sorry <laughs> 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 but like, uh, 
<laughs> it was it was just kind of like that. Like I, I ended up being fine. They were obviously obviously everyone was watching the coverage afterwards. Like holy shit! Like people are just going fucking bonkers right now. Um, in terms of the actual game, I remember thinking before the game, like we gotta score the first goal. Canucks gotta score the first goal in this game because the team would score the first goal in every game had won the game. If you had scored in the first goal in games one through six, you had won the game. And the way Tim Thomas was playing, it was just like, you know what? Like, we got to score the first goal because if we don't score the first goal, we got to score two past Tim Thomas. And that looks like a monumental task. So I remember, I remember like, we got to score the first goal. We got to score the first goal. And I remember the first goal very clearly. It's a face-off draw. It's a, it's not a face-off play. Bergeron scores off the face-off, one nothing, and I just remember this sinking feel like, oh shit, this is this is not happening. This is not happening. Like we're really gonna fucking lose this game. And like, it's one nothing. It's early, and then right after, Burroughs had a really good chance. He had a he had a he had an open net, but Chara blocks it. Tim Thomas is out of position. Chara blocks a shot, and it was really their only good chance uh, of the game. Like that that chance that could have tied it up at one. And then uh, I believe Marchant scores the the second goal, makes it uh makes it two nothing, and that was really it. Like after they score that two nothing goal, it's like okay, we're uh, we're really gonna lose this at at the very last hurdle. And another thing I, I remember, uh, I was actually just looking it up today because uh someone posted it on uh, on Twitter. It's still um it's still the most highly watched um NHL uh, Stanley Cup playoff game in Canadian history. I think it still it still holds a record. I think like 11 million people in Canada watched it, which if you know the population of Canada, like 33 million people in Canada. So one in three people watched that uh, that game seven in Canada for the Canucks Bruins. I think the only game that's more highly rated in Canada was, uh, was a gold medal Canada won back in uh, 2002 when they had like uh, Joe Sackick and Mary Lemieux and Paul Korea and all those guys in the, uh, the U.S. In, uh, in Salt Lake. So it was, uh, that's probably, you know, Ten years later, that's the best chance a Canadian team has had to win the Stanley Cup since. There hasn't can't get much better chance than a Game Seven at home in the Stanley Cup Final. And then, I guess the aftermath for you, both I guess physically in Vancouver, but also just kind of the the mental toll of going through a, a grueling seven game series, and then kind of like you know, your thoughts on the state of as best you can back then, you know, where did you feel the franchise was, was headed all that? Well, you know, they didn't have, they were going to lose probably a guy like Erhoff or Bieksa, right? Like they were going to lose one of those guys. Cause they didn't have enough room to sign one of them. They end up losing Christian Erhoff to, uh, to Buffalo, but they kept Bieksa. And it was, it was tough because at the back of your mind, you think, Okay, like they still they're still gonna have a really good team next year. They'll still have a really good team. But the question is, like, are all the stars gonna line for a second straight year for you to get back to the Stanley Cup final and win it? That's what I remember thinking. Like, is it is are they ever gonna get back to a to Stanley Cup final with this core? Like, sure they can make the playoffs the next year. Sure they can maybe they can maybe win a round or two, but are is everything gonna line up for them to to win, you know, a multiple rounds going another run? I, I remember thinking at the time, like, I don't know. I don't know. And of course, like the next year, they end up, they had, a, they had another good year. They had another presence trophy year. They ended up having another really good regular season, but they weren't the same dominant team. They were a good team, but they were as dominant as the the year before. Like down the stretch, they were winning a lot of tight games. They weren't really, they were just relying on uh, Roberto Longo and Corey Schneider to kind of split the starts and see what happens. And, you can say they got a bit unfortunate because they uh, they faced the defending they faced eventual Stanley Cup champions in the LA Kings round one, lost in five games. It wasn't particularly close, but I remember thinking at the time like they're gonna have another really good team next year. I think that's that's a given, but will everything line up so they can go on another deep run? And in terms of physically being in Vancouver at the time. Like I said, like you're in the middle of a goddamn riot, <laughs> right? Immediately after the game, and then you gotta you gotta deal with all the fallout from that. Like how the hell did, how the hell does how the hell does this happen? Supposed to be nice people, supposed to be nice, friendly Canadians that were 
fucking right. And for the second straight time too. It's not like anyone. It's, it's not like the first time this happened. It's happened in '94 after the loss to the Rangers. How did anyone not? How did no one see this coming? That's what always I'm always surprised about is how did how did 17 year old me know that there was going to be a riot if the Canucks lost? But the Vancouver Police Department apparently had no idea. No one, no one could have known. No one could have known, even though it happened 17 years earlier in the exact same scenario. What did they say? Sorry. The the VP the VPD used the excuse like, oh yeah, we don't we we uh we had no idea it was coming. Like, come on, that's so that's lame. Yeah, yeah, you should have you should have known. Again, it happened 17 years earlier, and and if you look at the footage from the '94 riot, it's a lot tamer than the one in 2011. 2011 one saw something like it. You ever did you guys see the clip of um a guy who uh who took a um a flare shot right to the nuts? Mm-hmm. That's probably one of my favorite moments of the riot. It's the guy who takes a flare shot right in the right in the nuts. Mine is the couple smooching, but that'll that'll kind of always. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's probably the. the... Yeah. Although I though I remember I remember reading articles saying they weren't kissing. He was actually trying to like, he was actually he actually like, she was actually injured. He was trying to like help her out. But they're uh, fun fact. They're they're Australian. And mm-hmm. they uh, and they yeah they're Australian couple and. They uh, they're they're Australian. They have like a, they're married right now. And they have kids and they're living in Australia. That's what they that's what they're up to uh, mm-hmm. ten years later. Are they are their kids Henrik and Daniel? <laughs> they were. <laughs> maybe they have a maybe have a third kid named uh, Alex. <laughs> Ryan, if they have another kid. Rafi. Rafi. That hey, that'd be a good name for for a kid. Rafi. For an, for an Australian kid, Rafi. <laughs> Rafi, yeah. All right, uh, we'll get you out of here on this. So you said there, there's this unique pressure for for Canadian teams that's kind of hard to describe to to win a cup. I mean, you know, the sport is is Canada. Um, so if and when your Vancouver Canucks uh, do hoist that cup. Uh, what uniquely Canadian way would you celebrate? What uniquely Canadian way would I celebrate? Um, I would crush a bag of all dressed chips. I would. <laughs> I, I don't, and you know what? I don't even like Tim Hortons, man. Like Tim Hortons, like people say, like Tim Hortons, like just just to give you guys a little little history on Tim Hortons. Like Tim Hortons has been owned by Canadians in like thirty years. They're owned by like some giant Brazilian conglomerate, but. They always like to hype up, oh, we're Canada, we're Canadian, we're Canadian. And fair enough, Tim Warren was a hockey player. He played for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, can't get much more Canadian than that. But I, I, I would I would pound back a double-double if the Canucks won a Stanley Cup. I'd pound back. Some, I'd get some, t- some Timbits. I'd get some Timbits, yeah. Why not? Uh, that's good stuff. Are you, a, are you a Molson or a Labatt guy? Mm, good question. Uh, Molson. Yeah, you know what? That that's a good one too. I'll pound back some uh, some Molson. I'll shotgun some Molson Canadians. If if the Canucks cannot win or they're knocked out or something like that, do you then like by default root for a Canadian team to try no. and win? No, no, okay. no, no. As soon as I I don't believe in that Canada's team bullshit. Sorry, I don't believe it at all. Oh no! As soon as as soon as <laughs> the Canucks it. are I, as soon as the Canucks are eliminated from. Any chance of winning the Stanley Cup? I want every other Canadian hockey fan to be as miserable as I am. <laughs> I don't want any of these other fans to have bragging rights over me. I don't want it. I don't want it all. Do you think that will change if and when the Canucks win one? Or will that always be your mentality? I want the Canucks to be the team that breaks a streak. Okay. I, I want that for the Canucks. And then if they do that, then are you a uh, Canada's team kind of thing? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. sure. After that. But I don't want any other Canadian fan to have bragging rights. But not me. yet. Not yet. <laughs> no. One of my greatest fears is if the Toronto Maple Leafs ever win the Stanley Cup. Because it would be insufferable. Mm. Like, if, if the Maple Leafs made a... Yeah, I'm like, I'm not worried about it. But if the, if, if they ever did, like, if the, if the Maple Leafs made a run this year, I would have... Or in the near future, I may have to deactivate Twitter. Like, I just... I, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to, to look at it. There you have it. That is the story. And these are the Puck Stories. 
Was it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at The Puck Stories. Also see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcasts at The Stories Pods on Twitter as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly. The Sedins are, you know, it's almost hard to describe how important they are to, you know, the Canucks and probably you as a fan. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to be at their last home game. Like, mm. that was the game they won against Arizona overtime. Perfect ending, right? Like, Hendrick tees it up for Daniel, wins it. And, I, and I've always said, like, that will be the best Canucks game I ever go to unless I'm fortunate enough to be at the game where they win the Stanley Cup. Like, that last Sedins game will never be top, but... It was an interesting scenario because that 2017-18 season, like their ice time was decreasing. Like they were getting slowly kind of phased out of the team in the sense that they weren't really relied on as much as they were the, the previous seasons. And I honestly like this is Hendrick and Danielson, you're not the type of players who want like the Derek Jeter, Kobe Bryant retirement tour, right? Like they're not going to go to every opposing arena and demand that you give them a gift because they're so awesome, right? Like, they're not going to be that type of people. And honestly, I think if it was up to them, they probably wouldn't have announced that they were going to retire until well after the season, right? Like, they were just going to say, like, if it was up to them, they would probably just say one day, uh, okay, yeah, we're done. We uh, we don't want to play anymore. But I think there was a lot of pressure from the uh, from the Canucks organization to make a decision because they obviously wanted to hype up these games and they wanted to sell merch. I, I bought a Henrik and Daniel Sedin uh shirt the day uh on, on that last game like i bought a bunch of shit like they obviously wanted to to pump it up and and make a big deal out of it so yeah like if it was, if it was up to them the sedines would have just said one day uh yeah we're done but that they uh they announced on um i believe they announced on the monday that they were going to retire and then that last home game was uh a thursday but there are two greatest players in franchise history i don't think there's any doubt about it uh, it's they played their entire career with the franchise, which is also unique. Like especially nowadays, you see a lot of guys get traded, move in free agency. It's very rare to have like two guys who won back to back Art Ross trophies, who had the success that they did, play their entire career, you know, eighteen year career on the same team. It's pretty unique if you if you look about it, especially in hockey. It's few and far between. Like hey. Hey, even even Joe Thornton, like he played for three different teams, right? Like, even he moved on from San Jose at some point. He didn't, he didn't retire. Uh, even a guy like hey, Boston. even a guy like Sidney Crosby, even a guy I can see a guy like Sidney Crosby moving on from the Pittsburgh Penguins eventually. But like the Sedins, they stuck it out their whole career in Vancouver, and that's something to be that's something admirable in my in my in my view. They they uh, they stuck around the entire time. The Canucks have never really had that guy like that. Even Trevor Linden. You know, he came back to Vancouver, but there was a stretch where he played for Montreal, the Islanders, Washington. Pavel Burry obviously like demanded a trade and got out of there. Like they've had like a they've had they never had like a true player who played his a true great who played his entire career in Vancouver. That's that's what I always respect about the Sedins. Well, because of all that travel. <laughs> yes yeah exactly and you know what you know what's also interesting about Henrik daniel sedin is they stay in vancouver like they live they live full-time here, here in vancouver like a lot of these swedes they move back to sweden after they're done playing right because uh, and, and you know honestly I, I don't blame them like sweden's a beautiful country why wouldn't you want to move there if you've got a bunch of money saved up but they're also one of the few swedish players who after they're done they uh they stay here like they live in the they live in the city. So that's also something that's probably earned them a lot of respect in the city as well as they decide to stay here afterwards. That's why I started to follow hockey, like not just Canucks, but around the league. So I'm seven, I think I was like seven or eight years old. And the Canucks are playing Detroit first round and they go up 2 nothing. This is my very first Canucks memory. They go up 2 nothing. They win both games in Detroit. And I'm like, okay, yeah, they're going to win the cup. Like they got a two nothing lead. They're gonna like they're gonna win every game. Go on to win the cup. Little did I know, like that O two Detroit team was like video game stacked. <laughs> and, like a young Pavel Datsuk. D- didn't, uh, they, didn't they? Dominic Hatchik like... and that. 
Didn't they have like 14 Hall of Famers or something? They had something ridiculous like that. Sam- they had Samsonov. Samsonov. Yeah, they had uh, Sergey Fedorov. They had Steve Eiserman. They had Chris that, Kellios. They had Nick Lindstrom. They had Brett Hall. That, they had Luke Robitaille. That needs to be a that needs to be a t- uh, topic. The O2 Red Wings. That would be that would, that would be a good that would be a good team for you guys to cover. They're probably one of the yeah. best teams ever to win a cup. Video game stacked. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah. uh, Canucks win first two games in Detroit. They go up with go come back to Vancouver with a uh, with a two nothing lead. <laughs> um, it's close all the way through the end of the second period. I think it was, the game was tied one one. Nick Lidstrom takes a slap shot from center ice, goes over Dan Kluge's glove. 2-1 Detroit. That ends up being the game-winning goal. They win that game. They win the next three games, and the Canucks are out. So my very first Canucks memory is, you know, Nick Lindstrom scoring for center ice on Dan Kluge. But to answer your original question, sorry for rambling on there. Uh, my, my, my <laughs> favorite Canucks, like all Yeah, my favorite Canucks all time are, like, I always have a soft spot for the West Coast Express, Pertuzzi, Naslin, Morrison. Uh, I've always loved the guy like Alex Burrows. You know, I, I just love the story. Oh. This guy was, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Man. But he has, has he, did he score some of the biggest goals in Canucks history? You know, that game seven winner against Chicago, the game two overtime winner against Boston. I think that still holds the record for uh, quickest uh, Stanley Cup final goal, at, over, hmm. overtime goal ever. But I just like his story, right? Like he was he was a ball hockey player. He was playing in the ECHL. He was about to you know quit. And he gives it one last shot, grinds his way up to the NHL. He's a fourth-line grinder. And, you know, one uh, one fateful night in uh, February 2009, they're playing the St. Louis Blues. Elaine Vignol says, you know what, I'm going to put this guy with the Sedins. Let's see, let's see what they're going to happen. And uh, the rest of the state's history, it was the perfect fit. You know, the Sedins would pass it around, you know, backhand sauce across the ice. And Burroughs was kind of the perfect complement to that. 